this morning I don't greet you in, in my name. I greet you in the wonderful and mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen. The one and only way. So this morning, yeah, I don't know about you, but I was trying to calm myself down eventually while we were praising and worshiping here and uh, trying to remind myself that I need a voice to actually talk. Um, I'm going to apologize in advance to Shanom and um, who was standing in front with Shanom. I know I must have been singing very loudly out of key and I'm sure you must have been pulling that mic this way. But man, what an honor to just shout and scream towards the Lord for what he's, what he's given to us. What an honor to just lose inhibition in the presence of the Lord. We've got a lot to be thankful for. He's been so, 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 so good to us. Uh, Duane, I didn't know that you'd been serving so long. If you guys were trying to, to calculate how long Duane has been serving, um, he, you know, he spoke about from a very young age, but he also mentioned that he served with Moses. So, so I was like, wow, we did not know who we've got here. So, Duane, thank you, my brother. Thank you for your service. This morning, we head on over to the book of Galatians. The simple gospel is what um, I've titled it uh, this morning. And... Has the, let me see a show of hands. Who's been reading the book of Galatians this morning? Pastor Bevan, that's listening to this right now, you're going to be very proud that, um, <clears throat> yes, we've been reading the book of Galatians. Amen. amen, amen. The church says amen. And this particular book was written to the churches in the area of Galatia. So not written to one church, written to a couple of churches in the area of Galatia, which was in Asia Minor, which is what is today modern-day Turkey. Okay? So scholars say that this particular book of Galatians is most likely written to the churches in the southern region of the uh, Galatia where Paul traveled and where he founded churches um, at that time. So churches in Antioch, churches in Iconium, churches in Derby and Lystra as well. Now, if you've been reading the book of uh, Galatians, you will find that it's a book that you will either hate or that you will love, depending on where your heart lies on certain um, topics, right? And we'll get into those. So, the reason why I'm saying this, it, it's, it's a very controversial book and it addresses uh, issues like arguments, conflicts, disagreements within the church, by the way. Okay? It's got all of this drama that's happening and I know we like to have a no, 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 we must have a peace-loving church. There's no drama and we must just be all good and well-managed. So this book goes to where we don't really like to go to. Okay? It also does show that sometimes we major on the minors and we minor on the majors as well. So we need to know what's important, what's not so important. 
Okay? It also does focus on, and we've heard this before, this is not this first time that we hear this type of scripture um, or idea, that there are people who have come into the church already, that have infiltrated the church already, that have come with the purpose of diluting the gospel. You heard that before? So coming into the church, adding to the gospel or taking away from the gospel as well with their own agenda, agendas for their own purpose. And a lot of the time, whilst doing that, discredit the one who actually brings the true gospel. Now, we all know that we need rules and regulations to abide by in society, right? Okay. It would be chaos if we didn't have that. But we also need to have a healthy knowledge of where the rules and regulations emanate from. You know, where does this come from that I'm abiding by? Because if we don't know where they come from, people with their own agendas can feed us what they want to. And sometimes the, the, the line between um, those who are giving these rules and regulations, their self-righteousness and their judgment on us is passed. But we don't know any better because we just know what we're given. So the rules and regulations that we are given need to be based on a true foundation. Agree? Amen. So, Pawson, David Pawson gives us a couple of reasons why the book of Galatians is actually disliked. Would you believe it? All right, so he's very passionate about the book of Galatians. He says that the book of Galatians is disliked. One of the reasons, because it's too emotional. Okay, too emotional. He says that emotions and religion should not, well, he says that people have insinuated this. Emotion and religion should be kept apart. And as you'll see with this particular book, it's highly charged with emotion. But I'm going to remind you of this, that the emotions, the arguments, whatever is coming, and you'll see this for yourself, are coming from a foundation of truth and of love. But that doesn't mean, because it's coming from truth of, uh, and, and love, that people like it, because it cuts to the heart. It also is too personal, some people say. So Paul references fights, remember, like I said, within the church. Okay? Paul has confrontation with Peter at one point in time. We all know holy Peter, right? He says to Peter, no, you are a hypocrite. You are a hypocrite, and they have altercations within the church. He has an argument about whether you're pleasing man or whether you're pleasing God. What are you doing? So how many times do we in the church just I'll turn a blind eye because, you know, arguments and confrontation, even if it's coming from the right platform, is not really what we want to do. Paul wasn't that kind of a guy. So Paulson also says that it's way too intellectual. Now, I'll give you a couple of uh, clues, but this is written by Paul, right? 
And Paul will go into, we'll delve into who Paul was and what his background was as well. Now, Paul was well trained in the law. Okay? So when he came with an argument, he had both sides of the coin. He had the, 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 the argument from the law and the argument from having been converted in Christ. Okay? He was well placed to argue his point in the book of Galatians. So some people also say that this book is too spiritual. Now, when I say too spiritual, Paul gets to the heart of stripping off the spiritual facade that we walk around with. You know, all good and shiny on the outside. What is happening on the inside is what Paul is getting to. It penetrates very, very, very deeply. And some people say it's too controversial. It's way too argumentative. And like I said earlier on, we don't want to, in the church, we don't want to get into that place of where we're quarreling with one another. But this is addressing problems at root cause level. Like I said, if it's coming from the basis of truth, that is the type of healthy engagements that we want to have. Are there any gentlemen here in the region of the 30s? The 30s. You can show your hands. Don't smile like that, Aaron. Aaron, are you, are you 30-ish? Hey, just missed the mark. So we've got some, quite a few hands. Mark, you put your hand down. So we've got a few 30-year-old men in the house this morning. We're going to look at two individuals this morning um, who've made a great impact on the church. Okay, Believe it or not, they were in their 30s. And the reason why I'm asking who's 30-ish here is, ladies, you've heard this before, right? Men take a long time to grow up. Yes. You've heard that? Ooh, don't say yes so loudly. <laughs> so, Lord, we pray for this woman. So, the word says men take a long time to mature. Men take a while to get where we need them to be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an argument which says, ha, ah, this is true because maybe men's focus is misdirected. Because here we see men who were in their 30s who were powerfully used by God because they were exposed to Jesus Christ, exposed to the word of God. They were not misdirected and immature in the things of God. So maybe the immaturity is because we are short-circuiting, because we are not doing what we were meant to be doing as men. We are not exposed to the one who can create maturity and change within us. So, let's look at Martin Luther. Anybody heard of Martin Luther before? Okay, so lots of people have heard of Martin Luther, but not many people have known that he's just famous for being famous. What did Martin Luther actually do? So Martin Luther was the son of a miner who had a little bit of success, right? And his dad was able to send him to university. His dad wanted him to train as a lawyer so that he doesn't have to go through the hardships that his father did. Sounds about right for a father and son, right? Now... 
Here's Martin Luther going about his business, um, qualifying as a lawyer, and lo and behold, one night he is caught in a freak storm. Now, when I tell you a little bit of, of, of Martin Luther, I want you to understand, get this point. I want you, with both gentlemen that I'm going to talk about, hear of where they first were in their mindsets and see where they travel to with God. So Martin Luther is studying law, becoming a lawyer, gets caught in a freak storm one night, and he makes a rash statement and vow, and he says, Saint Anne, if you rescue me from this storm, I vow today that I will become a monk. Now you might be saying, but who is Saint Anne? Where does Saint Anne come into the whole picture of things? Now Saint Anne, according to, to, to ancient um, Christian, what is the word? Um, ancient, uh, tell you now, apocryphy. Apocryphy. So remember, apocryphy is though that that scripture which has not made it into the canon, right? So Saint Anne, according to apocryphy, ancient Christian apocryphy, was the maternal grandmother of Jesus Christ. Okay, he was she was Mary's mother, in other words. So he calls out to Saint Anne, says, "If you save me on this day, I'll become a monk." Now you can imagine. Um, what his father thought of this because he was saved in the storm. So true to his word, the man becomes a monk. Now, here's the man who was calling on people that are not even in the Bible, that was um, very trained in his way in the law, gets into the monastery, and they say to him, okay, um, Mr. Martin Luther, you will now teach the law. And it's even said there that he's like, oh my words, teach the Bible. This is death by teaching. And actually he was true because the death of the old man occurred through being exposed to the truth and the word in the Bible. So he starts seeing different things in the church that he's not in agreement with. He's like, um, I know what the church is saying. I know what laws and regulations they're giving, but I can't find this in the Bible. I've got a dilemma. I've searched the scriptures, but there is a contradiction happening here. Okay, so we see here that on the slide, Martin Luther, born in 1483, 1546, he was caught in that storm in about 1505, in his, in his 30s, becomes a monk, and whilst he's starting to um, teach the, the, the Bible and the law, he observes a, a couple of things. He says, the priests are not well educated, but they can read Latin. Scripture, or the Bible, should be the religious authority and not the Pope or the Church. So he's saying, man should not be the authority over the Bible. Yeah. Okay? He says, check this where the Church was. He says, the sale of indulgences. The church was actually selling pardons for sin. How much money do you have? Don't worry. The money that you have, me as man, I will pardon your sin at a price. He couldn't find this anywhere in the Bible. 
couldn't find this anywhere in the Bible. So now you can have this, there's this conflict that is happening in this 30 plus year old man. The Pope or the church is spending too much money on big churches, art projects. Wait, wait. Sounds a bit familiar, but wait. Okay, he says, big churches, art projects, worldly affairs, fancy clothes, rich lifestyles, political power, fighting wars, and gaining territory. This is where the church's focus was at. So, he comes to the point where he's like, and you'll see, he has the same type of experience that Paul had. He comes to the point and he says, I've been reading the word, I've been reading about the truth. This truth that I'm reading in the word and what I'm seeing happening here is conflicting. He writes what is called the 95 Theses. He, he, he hammers and nails this to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church, okay? Which basically is all of what he says is wrong, 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 wrong. And this is how reformation needs to happen in the church. He's the father of the Protestant Reformation protesting against what was happening in the church. Okay, nails this uh, to the door of the church, and we, we, we find that he had access to the newly de developed printing press um, that the church didn't. So there was an explosion of um, his ideas going across, and this revolution then started. Later, he was released. Listen, check this out. He's released from his monastic vows in, 14, in 1518. He's excommunicated by the Pope, 1521. You're not towing the line as according to what man says. And he's declared an imperial outlaw in 1521. So I, I, I chuckled when I saw this about pardons for sin at a price. Because I thought to myself, yo, was this the beginning of white collar crime? And you, you, you get the joke, white-collar crime. <laughs> so this is probably where it's come from. So he often taught from the book of Psalms, the book of Romans, and would you believe it, the book of Galatians. So Martin Luther especially loved the book of Galatians. He called it his epistle. Um, I don't know how the wives would feel about this, but he also named the epistle his Catherine von Bora. That was his wife, by the way. He called the Galatians epistle my Catherine von Bora. Imagine, my Dio, my Bernice, my Chanon. Okay, so I don't know how the ladies would feel about that, but powerful. He said, I am married to this epistle. Can you see how a big an impact this has had on his life? I implore you to go and start reading Galatians to find out what is this that has changed somebody's life so dramatically. Man, if you are in your 30s, now is the prime time to read Galatians. Who knows what God might spark on the inside of you. So Galatians has been said by others to be called the Declaration of Independence of Christian Liberty. Leon Morris wrote this, and I like this. He says, Galatians is a passionate letter, the outpouring of the soul of a preacher on fire for his Lord and deeply committed to bringing his hearers 
to an understanding of what saving faith is. The church was saying you, you, you can be saved in very many different ways. He was fanatical about preaching the truth. Boyce described Galatians as the Magna Carta of Christian liberty, which means the great charter of Christian liberty. So open your Bibles to the book of Galatians. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to... Is it okay if I read the whole of chapter 1? Is that okay? And I'm going to read the whole of chapter 1 to give context as to what is actually happening here. But I'm then going to focus only on chapters 1 to um, 6, or 1 to 5 rather, which is the greeting. And I'm going to supplement it with uh, some extracts from chapter 3, which basically is going to uh, talk to Paul's um, argument. So, amen if you have your Bibles open at Galatians chapter 1. Amen. amen. So, this is the greeting. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Christ Jesus and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself, uh, gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Then the uh, superscription there says, only one gospel, some versions might say no other gospel. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who, are, who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you that we have preached to you before, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Then there's the call to apostleship, or Paul called by God. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, 
I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia, this is to the desert, and I returned again to Damascus, the contacts at Jerusalem. Then after three years, so he's, he's been away from everybody after three years after this uh, experience that he's had. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, and I remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, concerning the things which I write to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to go into your word. Lord, we have the opportunity to see how you've used men before us. We have the opportunity to see, Lord, that we have been called for a time such as this, that it's not by chance that we find ourselves um, under your word this morning, but it's your providence, it's your grace, it's your mercy, and we thank you for that. This morning, I pray for the hearts that will receive your word, and I pray um, for just eloquence of the Holy Spirit to, to touch my lips this morning and use me as your vessel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So the title, like I said earlier on, was The Simple Gospel, and the central theme of this book is justification by faith, which I'll expand upon later. So we saw that we have issues regarding um, law, salvation, grace, freedom, and there's a question as to what is the way to God, you know, um, which is brought about. So the first word of the letter is Paul. Okay, Paul and this widespread agreement that he is actually the author. So Paul was a Roman Jew, a Pharisee. Okay, he is thought to come from a, a slightly wealthy family because he was afforded the opportunity to um, study underneath the very uh, well-known, famous rabbi of that time, Gamaliel. So he had an opportunity that many others did not. I said also he's a Pharisee. Pharisees were a sect within early uh, Judaism who developed a tradition of strict interpretation of the Mosaic law. So are you getting the idea that Paul, in his former life, was deeply indoctrinated in the law? Okay? deeply indoctrinated in the Lord. This was all that he knew, this was all that he'd been trained, and he was um, very zealous about that. Pharisee comes from the Aramaic word which means to be separated. So Saul is first introduced to us in the Bible in Acts 7 verses 58. We come to a scene where we have Stephen who was a deacon, and an evangelist is about to be stoned. Okay, we remember this. He's about to be stoned 
Um, they say he's blasphemed against the law of Moses. He's blasphemed against God. And here we get introduced to this man, Saul, who's been so well trained in the law. Saul was so close to what was happening to Stephen, it is said that the killers of Saul, those who stoned Saul, laid their garments right at the feet of Saul. Acts 8 verses 1 says Saul approved of the killing of Stephen. He approved. Acts 8 verses 3 says Paul, or Saul at that time rather, was havoc to the church. What a word. He was havoc to the church. He was going into houses, breaking down doors, grabbing um, men and women and putting them into church because they followed the way. Okay? And they called it the way because that's how Jesus described himself. I am the way, not a way. Okay? So Paul, or Saul at that time rather, was very against all of this based on what he's been indoctrinated with in earlier years. Check this out. So Ravenhill in the book Why Revival Tarries, a very old book, very good book, he describes Saul as being to the infant church what King Herod was to the infant Christ. Now we remember what King Herod did at the time that the Christ came. He declared that all baby boys under the age of two must be put to death to try and eradicate the Christ. Saul is doing the same thing to the church. He's like, ah, anybody who says anything about this Christ, I'm coming after you. Okay? So we see the parallels between the two here. In Acts 9, there's a shift. In Acts 9, we see Paul... Um, sorry, Saul, and remember now, Saul is still under the instruction of man. He even went to the high priest for a, a, a document to say, give me the right to go after these Christians. So in Acts 9, yes, 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 Saul on his merry way, going to Damascus to go after these Christians. And we all know what happens to him on the road to Damascus. Bright shining, light shining all about him. They say the light that shone him was brighter than the sun at noonday. All around him, only Saul heard the voice that was speaking to him. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he's like, but who are you, Lord? And Jesus Christ, the risen Jesus Christ, the risen Jesus Christ speaks to you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine your entire life, your entire, everything that you know until this point is falling flat because the one that you're saying is heresy is speaking to you yeah. as the risen Christ. What a time. What a time. Have you had an experience with Jesus Christ? Is the, is, the, is the question this morning. Martin Luther was also just like Paul that we say now is law, 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 indoctrinated. The only, only thing that could change him was the word and being exposed to Jesus Christ. Have you had an experience with Jesus Christ this morning? Where are we? in terms of where we are. Are we doing just the law thing of to church 
and back. Man said, you come, every Sunday must be here. Man said it, so we do it. Put on the nice clothes, must be here. Have you encountered Jesus Christ? I want you to think of yourself where this is concerned. The transformation that is experienced. And you can put Martin Luther's name there. You can put Clint's name there. You can put Dean's name there. Okay? At one point in time, where were we? But where are we now? Have we experienced Jesus Christ? So Saul was indoctrinated from young. He was law-driven. He was a Roman Jew Pharisee. He was a persecutor of Christians. He was mandated by the high priest in Acts 9. So his mandate is from man. He brings about the message of law, which the Bible says brings you under a curse. He is operating under the unction of the flesh. He preaches legalism and he's a slave to sin. His encounter with Jesus Christ brings him to the point of being grace-inspired. He's got a new mission in life. He's converted and transformed. His mind is renewed. His mind is transformed. He becomes a Christ follower, an apostle, an evangelist, sent by God. He's an apostle sent by God and not by man. He preaches the message of grace. He, he speaks of the Spirit and he speaks about liberty in Christ. As much as a liberty in the law was being preached, man still found himself in this particular portion where he found that he was still a prisoner. So the purpose or the problem statement, Paul writes because there's a crisis in the church. Remember Paul went in about AD 48, 47, 48 to the churches of Galatia, spread the gospel. Just after Paul does this, just following behind him is these false teachers. Not going to disciple people of their own, coming to re-disciple what Paul has already started. So he comes behind and he starts saying, but no. Paul didn't give you the full gospel, but who is Paul after all? He hasn't given you the full gospel. Here is the full gospel. Let me tell you a little bit more. And they are actually saying that you need to be circumcised to be saved. You need to be circumcised to be saved. Now Paul, contrary to popular belief, did not actually have a problem with circumcision okay if we remember in um, in Acts 16 Paul actually had Timothy circumcised so now this is very strange because you're like Paul is complaining about circumcision but he's actually had Timothy circumcised or well, why the double standards so the reasoning behind this Timothy's mother was Hebrew his father was Greek. Okay? He wanted Timothy to accompany him while he was preaching in those areas of Galatia. He did not want Timothy to be a stumbling block to the, to the Jews that he was going to preach to. So for the gospel to go forward, he said, you know what? 
Let's get you circumcised. We will not stand in the way of the gospel. There's another time where we see in Galatians 2 where Paul doesn't push for Titus to be circumcised. Okay? He's like, man, it's fine. I'm not going to force you to be circumcised because Titus was a Gentile. And the church at that point in time was saying, remember you had the Jews and you had the Gentiles. The church was saying, you as a Gentile, no, Jesus Christ alone, his blood is not good enough for you to be saved. You as a Gentile, you must be circumcised as well. That then brings you into alignment with Christ. They were saying, remember, Christ said the Jews are the chosen people. Um, God said the Jews are the chosen people. Afterwards, Christ came and said everybody's included, Jews and Gentiles. So now they were taking a twist of the scripture and they said, um, Christ said, okay, Jews and Gentiles, we're going to make you a Jew. We're going to make, the cross was there, yeah, 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 but you still need to be a Jew. You must be circumcised. Okay, perverting the scriptures. So Paul is very disturbed at this point in time because how are these Galatians just believing this, rolling over and cheapening the cross? As I said earlier on, the date of um, the, the Galatians book, the epistle, the letter, was penned in... Uh, around AD 48. We see that he wrote or visited the churches around 47, AD 47, 48. And just shortly after that, those false teachers came about behind Paul okay, to pervert the gospel. Now, anybody heard of the Jerusalem Council? Very important time that occurred, as the scholars say, around AD 50 where the apostle and elders got together in Jerusalem to discuss all of this drama that was happening. So the church and the people are, are, and the Jews are pushing and saying the law, the law, the law. And they are saying uh, circumcision, you cannot be saved without works. And Christ was saying the cross, the blood, I have died for you. So at the Jerusalem council, they actually made um, or came to a decision that no ways. We did not say that circumcision and the law is necessary for you to be saved. So why they assume that the, the epistle was written in AD 48 is because there's no mention of this Jerusalem council in the book of Galatians. So they sort of put it in that particular uh, timing. So the structure of the book of Galatians, and we'll be going into the book of Galatians as we go along. Um, the first uh, chapters 1 and 2 is divided into 3, where Paul defends his apostleship. Um, chapters 3 and 4, where he defends the gospel. And chapters 5 and 6, where he defends the Christian life. Okay, so remember I said we were going to have a look at the, the, the greeting um, this morning and then expound a little bit more um, with chapter 3. So Corson writes that Paul always begins his epistles in one of two ways. So you see here in this particular says, uh, time he says Paul and he says straight away an apostle. Okay, So it's either Paul an apostle or Paul 
a servant prisoner of Jesus Christ. When he says servant or prisoner of Jesus Christ, he's preaching to those who are accepting of the gospel, who have open ears and hearts to the gospel. When he comes here and says, Paul, an apostle, he's saying, I am sent by God. I am an, on a commission by God. Because you are challenging me, I am telling you by whose authority I actually uh, come. So normally, the greetings have identification of who is writing, who it's been written to, and also you'll have a word of greeting as well. But in this particular greeting, Paul goes a little further. Okay? He expands on why he's writing. So he leaves out the niceties. Normally he says, hey, brethren and sisters, I'm greeting you and you, know, you are so precious to the, to the church and we love you and all of those things. Here, he gets straight to the heart of the matter. like there's no niceties about it. I am an apostle. I am sent by God, not by man. There is nonsense happening in the church and we need to address this now. Okay, there's no time for niceties at this point in time. Paul gets straight to the heart of the matter and he says that um, he highlights the problem that there's somebody, there's a, a, a people called Judea Judaizers in the church which are causing havoc. Okay, so if we look at the type of Judaizers that Paul is referring to, we'll see who he refers to in the book of Galatians. So on screen there you see three types of Judaizers. So these are Jews, right? Number one, custom observing. They maintain strict Jewish customs, but place no real significance on the law. Okay? All about their own customs. Then we have social Judaizers who observe the law, but insist on so, uh, uh, social separation from the Gentiles, want nothing to do. We are a superior race and we want to remain as such. And then the elitist Judaizers, and this is who Paul is talking about. They observe the law and they say there's some extras here. They insist on circumcision, you must obey the Sabbath and our dietary restrictions as well. You must eat kosher. Also, in order to belong to God's people, in order to be saved, in order to make you okay for Christ. So they're preaching all of these things, these additions, in addition to the cross. So can you see how dangerous this becomes? Because they're not saying, oh no, the cross is not real. Um, they're not saying that we have anything against the cross. They are just saying... Yes, I know that that is what Paul said, but have you considered the other things? Now, the question is, when you say the cross, but, we are actually putting a value to the cross at that point in time. We are saying that the cross, yes, short slightly, uh, uh, falls slightly short at this point in time. The cross plus... This book was such a, 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 a ministering to my heart and soul. Like I was saying, you will, you will either love it or you will hate it. This here 
Gets you to start questioning what it is that you do in addition to you having been called. To you having submitted to the cross. To your condemnation that you walk with every day. With you trying to make yourself right for Christ. You know that song? Tomorrow. Yeah. Not today, but tomorrow. And, and, and sort of hell bent on when I make myself right for Christ. I'll get there. Lord, I know you died for me. I know what you did on the cross. But the price that I am seeing, I just need to add a little bit more to what you've done. This is what we are saying to Christ. This is what Paul is so hot and bothered about. Would you say this is a worthwhile argument to be having in the church? Would you say that this is, this? if Jesus Christ was sitting amongst us today saying, I died for your sins on the cross, thank you Jesus, but, but, can I just add to this? Moving very quickly into just some of the arguments that has come from Paul in chapter 3. There's a few major statements or, or questions that Paul has made in support of his argument. And some of them are rhetorical questions. He knows the answer to that. And he's actually saying to these people, you should know better. You should know better. You have the word of God. What else do you need? The word says to you what the truth is. The word says to you what the way is. What business do you have listening to another man now now i'm, I'm gonna say this hey why do we listen to man because we don't open the word of god yeah. we have access to the truth we have access to the way but we choose not to open the word of god so in in x3 sorry in um, galatians 3 Verses 2, Paul asks this question. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's a rhetorical question. He knows they know the answer to that. But he needs to prick their, their memories of what has actually happened in their lives. Okay? So he says, the Spirit, basically what he's saying, the Spirit is received by faith. In verse 3, he says, having begun in the Spirit... Are you now being made perfect, which is a hint at, at, at sanctification, we get justified first, and there's a growth that needs to continue, which is sanctification. Okay? So he says now, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Another rhetorical question. So what he's actually saying is, our growth, our sanctification is in the spirit, in nothing else. In verses 3, Paul says to them, and this is harsh. Imagine you and I are having a conversation. And I said to you, are you foolish? Ha! We're supposed to speak in love in the church. Are you foolish? Is what he is saying. Now I want, to I want you to remember, do you remember we did the book of Jude? Okay? We did the book of Jude, and in the book of Jude, the same problem occurred. Right? The same problem occurred. And book of Jude was written after the book of Galatians. The book of Jude is written in about AD 60s, right? 
Book of Galatians here, written about AD 48, 49. In Jude, he had said to them the same thing, be careful of those false teachers who are coming into the church. Same thing. Many years later, how, how could we still be sitting with the same problem? Remember, so Paul had the same problem. Jude had the same problem. The same nonsense was going on in Martin uh, Luther's days. I put it to you today. Are we still having the same problem today? Yes. What has changed? Maybe something that's consistent is that we are still not reading the word. Yeah. We are still not going into the word. So, Jude said in, in um, chapter 1, verses 22, have mercy on those who are doubters. Have mercy on those who are doubters. But he also said this, there's some that you need to pluck by the collar who are almost in the fire. So there's times where you can say, hey, you know what, uh, yes, my brother, you know, this is, this is not so good and I, I, I see the doubt and this. But there's a time where you need to say, hey, but if tomorrow comes and you have not repented to the way, you will feel the fire. You will feel the fire. He says there's sometimes you need to operate under the unction of the Holy Spirit. And that too is operating in love. Not in your flesh, under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The other part of what Jude talks about there, he says that to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by flesh. So our very lives show how we give glory and honor to God. My very life, sometimes without me opening my mouth and having to talk, can be ministering to somebody else. What is your life ministering to others? He says that we should hate sin. We should repel sin. Are we being drawn to sin? Are we saying, Lord, I know, but tomorrow, but tomorrow, what if Jesus comes today? He's made that sacrifice on the cross for you and I. Paul goes on to recall God and Abram's relations. Now, this is the crux of the matter that I'm getting to. So, he says in Galatians 3, verse 6, Abram believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Okay? Abram believed in God was credited to him as righteousness. And then he also says this, those of faith are the sons of Abram. And I'm going to say this, faith, faith in what? Faith in who? We'll put that on ice right now. So those of faith are the sons of Abraham. Scripture, in, in verses 8 it says, Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. Which means preached the gospel to Abraham in advance. Okay? The gospel... The promise was given to Abraham first, okay? saying that in you all nations shall be blessed. The covenant was given to Abraham first. It also says in verse 10, all who rely on the works of the law are under the curse. The curse is equal to death, right? If you trust in the law, in, if you trust in how you 
can uphold the law, you are still under the curse. Nobody is justified uh, before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith. Amen? In verses 14, it says, In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abram would come to the Gentiles so that the Spirit would be received through faith. Okay? The Spirit, the promised Spirit, would be received by faith. Now, here is the, the crux of the matter. An example is given from verse 15 to basically put this all into perspective for the argument that he's giving. He says, even with a man-made covenant. So remember, this was a God-made promise to Abraham. He says, even with a man-made covenant, when that is ratified, it cannot be annulled. Yeah. A covenant is a covenant. It stands always. Yeah. How much more so a covenant from God? Yeah. How much more so? So the promise is made to Abraham and to his seed or to his offspring. So I found this very interesting because there's an explanation which goes further. It says, the covenant is made to Abraham and to his seed, and another word is to his offspring. And they say there, the commentary on it, this is the single version of the word seed, single version of the... Um, uh, of the, what is it, the offspring. So the seed, the singular, the offspring singular was not referring to many. It was referring to one. The promises made in Abram until one comes. The one who comes is Jesus Christ. The one who comes is Jesus Christ. That is when the promise or the covenant is fulfilled. So, the covenant or the promise came first. The law came 430 years later. Does the penny drop? Because I said now, the covenant cannot be broken. The covenant remains true. God's covenant is the same all the time. It stands the test of time. The word came 430 years after the covenant. So what is the purpose of the, word, of, of the law? Yeah. Why give the law then? The law was a temporary addition to deal with human lawlessness. Yeah. Okay? It's designed to point us to the promise that is coming. It is designed to show us that we cannot keep this law. It's designed to show us that you need a savior. Paul, or Saul, at that point in time, was very good at keeping the law. But even he could not keep all of the law. Even he, as zealous as he was, could not keep all of the law. So the law is given to us for a purpose, to point us to the promise that is to come to Christ. Amen? Amen. So, Paul argues this, that any faith that you have, if there is anything where you say the cross plus, 
He says, your faith in that is misplaced. Your faith in anything else that adds addition to the blood of Jesus Christ is misplaced. So faith plus um, my good works, faith plus how I can make myself right for God, is trying to make me good. What is the idol in our lives? Because that's what it is. Idolatry is where our focus is off of the cross and on something else where we think it can bring justification for salvation. What is it in our lives that we are focused on? Lord, not today, but tomorrow. Maybe I can make myself right through A, B, and C. What price have you put on the cross this morning? What price have you put on the cross and said, Lord, I know you died for me. I know you were on the cross, but Lord, it's not enough. I just need to sort this one thing out. I just need to sort that one thing out. Christ says it's enough. I've come to you. I've given you a free gift of salvation, but you need to take it by faith. Grace makes, but faith takes. Christ said on the cross, it is finished if something is finished can it be added to it is done it is done I see Candace looking at that watch I'm almost done (laughs) so in the same way we see throughout history from Paul to Jude to Martin Luther the enemy has continuously strived to, show, to focus our way or, or our focus away from the way. Candace, you can, you can come up, I'll finish for you. Um, <laughs> the shift focus needs to be on the way. Okay? The enemy will do everything and anything to take your focus away from him. Those who come into the church and who say to you there is more than the cross are putting a price on the, cr- on the cross. There is no price more expensive than the price that God the Father has paid with Jesus Christ's blood. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely none. Hosea verses 4 to 5 says... My people, and in closing, are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Church, and this is the one thing that I want to repeat and that we've seen, the change in those men, those 30-something men, was delving into the word of God, was delving into the experience with Jesus Christ and not experience with the small c, with the church, and not delving into rules and regulations apart from Christ and apart from the foundation of Christ. This morning, I just say, where is your focus? Where is your focus? Galatians 1 verses 3 says, grace and peace peace will be your portion not without accepting this grace through faith there's nothing that you can add to the cross this morning there is no excuse that is valid enough to say 
Christ is not enough. There is nothing. I'm going to repeat this thing. When you go home today, say to myself, say to yourself, there is nothing inside of me that can add to the cross. There is nothing, nothing, nothing. When that condemnation comes that says, I need to just make this one thing right in my life, Lord, you are adding your value, your price to the cross. It is finished. It is a finished work. Grace makes and faith takes. Amen. Amen. Father, we come to you this morning. Oh Lord, what a gift. What a gift you've given to us. Father, we take it so for granted. We repent this morning for thinking that we can make ourselves good. For thinking that we can add to the finished work of the cross. We repent for our excuses this morning, Lord. We pray for a renewing of our minds this morning, Lord. Give us, a give us a fresh understanding of what it is that you've sacrificed for us, Father. You've done it all so that we could have life and life abundantly in you. Father, we pray for a raising up of men in this time. We pray for a raising up of the 30-year-olds in this time. Lord, we pray that the 30-year-olds will begin to open Bibles, begin to open your word, Father, begin to seek you in earnest in spirit and in truth. Father, that we might have impact in this earth according to your purpose and according to your will. Father, continue to use us as your vessels. Help us, O oh Lord, to be obedient to you. We thank you, Father, that we are alive for a time such as this. We are not just taking up space on the earth. You have made us for a time such as this. Thank you, Jesus, that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you, Jesus, for the breath in our lungs. Thank you, Lord, that we can use it while we have it. Help us to be good custodians of every single breath, Lord, that our breath would give you glory. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Lord for the way and the, the, the church of rebirth says amen. amen church as always we we fellowship after after the word and please don't rush or fellowship with us we've got some eats and treats um, that's for the body um, but also meditate on the word which is for the spirit amen Thank you and see you next Sunday. Amen. Amen.